verses 1 through 9 today, we consider wise conduct before your superiors. I encourage you to use the, the handout, the bulletin insert to follow along in the message. Ecclesiastes can be a challenging book to, to make our way through. Um, he talks about Solomon, who wrote this book. He's teaching us about uh, the fact that life in this sin-cursed world, it can be a real struggle. Uh, it's often impossible to make sense of. And there's a word that he uses that runs through this book. It's called vanity. Um, we hear that word vanity and we think, oh, it's completely worthless. And that is one of its meanings. But words have meaning in their context. Here, in his use of this word vanity, if you will, it's talking about it's, it's just impossible to grasp. Uh, it's like trying to catch wind. You can't do it. Um, or one way I put it months ago, it says if you had a 60,000 piece puzzle of a polar bear in a snowstorm, that would be an impossible thing to, to accomplish here. Um, one of the more puzzling and mysterious things that you have to figure out in life is how to live under the various authorities that you have in your life. How to live under the various authorities that you have in life. Uh, the more bosses that you have, the more headaches that you have. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, in a work kind of situation, where you have, you have one boss on paper, but in practice you have two or three bosses. Uh, I'm reminded of my dad. Uh, for several years he was vice president of a company in charge of their data processing and their computers. Um, and so a vice president, you would expect answers to whom? The president, right? And that's what was on paper. But it didn't always work out that way. And there were others involved, the board of directors uh, that held my dad accountable. And they said one thing and the president said another thing. And they both wanted his head because they weren't doing what they wanted. And it was a, it was a bad situation. He's caught in the middle. It was a frustrating time in life. Is it even possible to know what to do when you're in those kinds of circumstances? Well, it's impossible to know what to do in those circumstances if you're leaning on your own understanding. Remember Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Remember what Solomon said there? He said, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make, he'll direct your paths, make them straight for you. And so we need to remember that as sinners, especially unbelievers, that as a sinner, your heart is skewed. It's sinful. And so the very first thing that's needed is you need a new heart. And I'm not talking about the physical heart. You need a spiritual heart. You need to be born again. You need to turn away. You need to repent. You need to get rid of that sin that's in your life because sin has a chokehold on your understanding. Skews it. All inverted and upside down. And when you're born again, the Lord puts everything right. 
And so you have to confess and repent of your sinful heart and your understanding. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, when he's your Lord and he's your Savior and he's washed away your sins, what happens immediately at that moment of being born again is the Spirit indwells you. The Lord opens your eyes. He replaces uh, eh attitude towards God's word with, I can't get enough of it. He helps you grasp its significance for your life. You read it, you get its meaning, and then how to apply it in different circumstances. He opens your eyes, enables you to put it into practice. So here in the book of Ecclesiastes, you're learning how to live a Christ-controlled life in a sin-cursed world. A Christ-honoring life in a sin-cursed world. Chapter 8 here has two sections, verses 1 to 9, and then verses 10 to 17. Obviously today we're looking at 1 to 9. Here we see in verses 1 to 9 that wisdom has definite benefits. It helps you live right under government authorities or governing authorities. And in verses 10 to uh, later in verse 17, we'll see how wisdom... It's great, but it does have limitations. The limitation is this. Because you're a human being, you will never be able to fully grasp and understand everything that God does. There is God and everything else. He is God and we are not. But we'll look more at that next week. Verses 1 to 9 here this morning, they are really, really important. You will always be around authority. You will always be around authority. And isn't it the case that from the time you're little to the time you're older? I, don't, I want to say older, not old. <laughs> okay, be, from, from when you're younger to older, there, I've, I've covered everybody. From the time you're younger to old, we always have this uh, bristling attitude toward authority, don't we? But when you're a parent, that's different. You're my child. You have to obey me. But when we have the shoe on the other foot and we have our authorities, our, our bosses or government, then we can bristle. Wait a minute. This is not right. We need to learn here uh, of how to have Christ's wisdom. And so at the top of the sheet there, this is the main point of verses 1 to 9, that you need Christ's wisdom to know how to act before your superiors. Why? Well, two main reasons. Uh, verse, verses 1 to 4 is the first one. And I give you some blanks here uh, just to help you follow along a little better. The first is that Christ's wisdom is essential. Verses 1 to 4, Christ's wisdom is essential. Look with me at verse 1. Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. We see here that Christ's wisdom, number one, gives you uh, the character that you need. The blank is character. Christ's wisdom gives the character that you need. He starts off by asking two questions. He's not expecting answers to these questions. These are called rhetorical questions. Uh, an example of a rhetorical question uh, would be, what in the world are you doing? Or what were you thinking? I'm not looking for an answer. I'm making a point. What? You shouldn't have done that. Solomon is making some points here. 
Uh, the character that you need, there's three kinds of character we need to see here. First, when he, he says, who is like a wise man? He's saying here, the wise, the wise, they stand out. They are seen as different. Who is like a wise man? There's, there's none like him. They stand out. The second question, who knows the interpretation of a thing? Here he says the wise know how to correctly assess things. They know how to correctly assess things. They can evaluate it. They can understand it. They're able to act and maneuver in different situations. They can size it up. They have knowledge and they know how to correctly apply it. A third thing we see here, a man's wisdom at the end of verse one makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed. The wise not only stand out, they not only are able to correctly assess, but number three, they are self-controlled. The wise are self-controlled. Sternness of face is the idea of aggressive. They're too bold, almost kind of a cocky attitude, overconfident. And proud. Now, when if if you have been ever been in a, a position of authority, and you see somebody who has that kind of a demeanor, a face, how do you, as that authority, evaluate? How do you respond to them? Well, the guard tends to go up. I have four daughters and two sons. And there have been several occasions when my four daughters and two sons, not all at once, praise the Lord, they have had a a stern face, cocky face, an overconfident face. I don't know where they got that. I never did that with my parents. Trish never did that with her parents. Yeah, right. (laughs) We've all done it, haven't we? When you're controlled by Christ's wisdom, it gives you the character you need so that instead of that, overly aggressive, proud, kind of bold demeanor, you have a pleasant demeanor. A pleasant demeanor. A passage you could write down along this line would be Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15. Proverbs 25, verse 15. There it says, By long forbearance a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. For sake of illustration, consider three individuals from the Old Testament who had this kind of character. Think about Joseph in the book of Genesis. He had godly character. He was able to correctly assess things. And he was self-controlled. Think about David, especially when he was under King Saul. David had godly character. He was able to understand the big picture of what was going on and make a correct assessment. And he had a humble attitude and demeanor. Think about the prophet Daniel before the pagan kings that he served under. He had godly character. He was able to make a right assessment of things. He had a good demeanor. These are great examples of the the kind of character that we need that Christ's wisdom provides. We need that. Number two, verses two to four. Christ's wisdom enables proper conduct. Christ's wisdom enables proper conduct. There's four characteristics of the kind of conduct, lifestyle that you need that come as a result of being controlled by Jesus' wisdom. 
Let's look at the first, verse two. I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. We see here the first characteristic is the wise are committed to Christ. The wise are committed to Christ. He says here, for the sake of your oath to God. This is talking about obeying, obeying the Lord. Israelites were under the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law. And they were obligated to God to obey their authority. When you're superior, your authority tells you to do something. What should you do? You should immediately obey. Because God is your ultimate authority. Now, right away, we're all thinking about those what-if situations. That's not what this is talking about. Do those what-if situations happen? Yep, they sure do. But overall, over the general course of life, you have made a promise to God that you will love, serve, and obey him. And that means you must obey the authorities that he has established. Two New Testament passages to write down. I wish for sake of time I could read them, but I can't. So the first is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. And then the second is 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. What's really important to remember is that Paul and Peter, they said, obey God and obey your authority, submit to the king. And they didn't exactly have a Christian emperor over the Roman Empire, did they? He was a pagan. He expected people to worship him. He persecuted. But yet overall, generally speaking, more often than not in your day-to-day life, obey, submit, and honor the king. A second characteristic of proper conduct resulting from being controlled by Christ's risen is the beginning of verse 3. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. I'll put it this way. Number two here, the wise persevere in hard times. This is a second characteristic. The wise persevere in a hard time. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. There's a lot of different interpretations from this passage. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the different ones. In my opinion, the, the idea is don't leave your position quickly here in challenging times. Don't leave your position quickly. Your knee-jerk reaction when things are not going well is to quit. You can think that's the easiest way out. That's the best way out. That's the best conclusion and response. But what you're doing there, and this is part of being controlled by Christ's wisdom, is you are making a long-term decision based on an in-the-moment reaction. And experience. You're making a long term decision based on a knee jerk, in the moment reaction, response, and circumstance. And those decisions are almost always never wise. Remember our Savior, Hebrews 12 2. Hebrews 12 2. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the experience that Jesus went through? And the trials, a terrible trial. And the crucifixion, not a good situation. 
Could Jesus have said, no, I'm not going through that as the son with his power? Well, sure, but he would not because he was committed to doing, uh, fulfilling the promises that God gave. There's a third characteristic of right conduct that comes as a result of being uh, controlled by Jesus' wisdom, and that's the end of verse 3. Uh, do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Number three, I put it this way, the wise look. And with that, you can probably get the last blank, can't you? The wise look before they leap. You know, the wise look before they leap. Do not take your stand for an evil thing. And this is a really general phrase, an evil thing. It could refer to uh, words that you hear, news that you come across, uh, slander. It can even be a conspiracy to overthrow, okay? All these different things. Solomon's point is don't believe everything you hear. Don't repeat it. Don't spread it. That is not Christ's wisdom. Now there's some application for us with our authorities, isn't it? Don't repeat a false matter, things that are wrong. We are to honor our authorities, and that is part of Christ's wisdom. Doing that kind of thing doesn't honor your authority, and it does not honor God. What that can do is it digs a hole. And what's our tendency? Once we start going down a direction that's contrary to what we should do, we don't want to get out of the hole. We want to dig further. And what happens when you keep digging that hole? You dig a deeper hole, and then you're in real trouble. What should you do, Christian, if you've been doing that? If you've been repeating a false matter, you've been working in a wrong way against some authority that you have, stop digging the hole. Get out of it and do what's right. A last characteristic. A proper conduct result of being controlled by Christ's wisdom is the end of verse 3 and verse 4. He does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king, I'm sorry, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? A last characteristic is number four. The wise recognize real authority and power. The wise recognize real authority and power. When you're controlled by Christ's truth, you recognize this authority has authority. God-given authority. They can act how they please in their sphere of authority. They have great power. And so your boss, as your boss, can fire you. You are not his boss. He is not responsible to you for his actions. You need to recognize that real power and authority that they have. I'd like to summarize these points here. Committed to the Lord, persevere in hard times, look before you leap, and recognize real authority and power. Uh, remember again those three men, Joseph, David, and Daniel. Were those three men committed to the Lord? They sure were. Did they persevere? Yeah, they did. Did they look 
before they got into a situation? Yeah. Did they recognize the authority that was over them? They sure did. You need Jesus' wisdom because that gives you the character that you need. And that enables proper conduct. Number two, verses five to nine. You need Christ's wisdom for a second reason. You need it because it is practical. It is practical. Christ's wisdom is not only essential, but number two, it is practical, verses five through nine. Wisdom is practical. Look at verse five. Uh, He who keeps his command, and that's referring to the king. He who keeps the king's command. So what I did in my Bible is I just drew a, a line from the his there to the king. Help me to remember who's being talked about here. He who keeps his, the king's command, will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Wisdom is practical first because you will know when and how to act. Those are blanks there, number one. You will know when and how to act. A wise man's heart discerns time and judgment. First, you need that wise heart. You need to be characterized by Christ's wisdom. You must be controlled by Christ's wisdom. Your heart, in Bible terms, is talking about the control center. You're controlled by what Jesus, who Jesus is, his character. You're controlled by his commands. And if you're wise, then you will obey the authorities because you are first committed to Christ. Remember what Paul said to slaves? Don't serve your masters with eye service, uh, doing it only when they're watching. Serve the Lord first. He's who you serve. He's your master. When you obey your authorities, you will not experience harm, it says here in verse 5. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And because you're controlled by Christ's wisdom, you'll know the right time you'll know the right way of doing things. The right time, the right way, and the right procedure. Again, more often than not, the knee-jerk, quick response uh, trigger, you know, you got a hair trigger. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression before, but a hair trigger is a a trigger on a gun that's really easy to pull. Uh, uh, A heavy trigger is it takes a lot of effort. I enjoyed having some two young fellows from Chile over this past week or so. Did you kind of enjoy them? I did. They had never really shot guns before. So we had to do a little shooting. Uh, because it was in my backyard, in the village, it wasn't legally permissible to, to shoot the big guns that we have. So we used a BB gun and a pellet gun. And you might say, that's not fun. You need to get, you know, my son's bayonet gun and his AR-15 and all this other stuff. Well, I want to obey my authorities and I don't want to get in trouble. So we strung up a bunch of balloons and we started plinking away with the Red Rider BB gun and then the single shot uh, uh, pellet gun. And we had a lot of fun there. Um, There's a right way and a right time of doing things. And you don't respond by just blasting away at everything. You take your time. 
you do it right and handle the firearm carefully and wisely. One of the young fellows, every time that he uh, pulled the trigger, he'd kind of do this and that, and it's a BB gun. What's the recoil on a BB gun? Zero, okay? So what's causing this? He's doing it. And I realized I forgot to tell him, okay, you're, you're sighting up, so take a breath, hold it, and when you're ready, exhale half, and then squeeze the trigger. And guess what happened when he did that? Pop went the balloon. And hey, it worked! Imagine that. It worked. It did it like it should. He took his time instead of just blasting away at everything and missing everything. That's what we want to do, isn't it? With authorities. We just want to blast away. That's not being controlled by Christ's wisdom. That's being controlled by my sinful heart. Take your time. Take a breath. <laughs> Ask God for help. What does his word say? And then work through it. There's a second reason Christ's wisdom is practical. In verses 6 to 8, you will not make a decision you regret. You will not make a decision that you regret. Regret, Regrettable decisions won't happen. And I put all these in your sheet here. Verse 6, because you will know the best course of action. Look at verse 6. Because for every matter, there is a time of judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. Well, that's a fact, isn't it? The misery of man increases greatly. That's a fact, isn't it? Life is hard. Lots of difficulties. Lots of misfortunes. And they make life miserable. And then you got to deal with a boss? Oh. Solomon is saying here, don't be controlled by your circumstances. As miserable as they may be. You must be controlled by Christ's wisdom. Because Christ's wisdom, he says here in verse 6, enables you to know the best course of action so that you will not make a decision you regret. Look at verse 6 again. For every matter, there is a time and judgment. And so let's listen to God's word and respond rightly. When you have Christ's wisdom, you won't make a regrettable action because of verse 7. You're going to keep in mind that you don't know the future. Look at verse 7. For he does not know what will happen. And who's the he there? Well, in my margin, I drew a little line and I wrote me. That's the he there. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Who can tell him what will occur? We can have a general idea what's going to happen in the future, but we don't know the specifics. And because you don't know what's going to happen in the future, you have to work hard to make Right choices. It's hard work. It's not a gut response. Because you don't know the future, you need to work hard to make wise choices in the present. A foolish gamble rarely pays off. So don't gamble. Work hard and think. Stop. Pray for wisdom. Look in God's word. And then, how does that apply 
to this situation. Don't just, I'm just going to throw something against the wall and hopefully it sticks. That can lead to a lot of problems. You don't know the future. Avoiding decisions you regret is important because of verse 8. Bad decisions can bring permanent damage. Here, Solomon gives illustrations of situations that you cannot get out of. The first one, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. That's how it's translated here in the New King James. On the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for spirit is also the same word as could be translated wind. And the brother that read the scripture earlier today used the New American Standard, right? And that's how that translated as wind. I think that's the best way to translate in this context here. Remember, words have meaning in their context. He's giving illustrations of, uh, of situations you can't get out of. The first thing, you can't control the wind. You can't control the wind. And looking over the, 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 um, the crowd, uh, the congregation here this morning, um, we have wind occurring right now. Two kinds of wind. We have wind coming from the air conditioning vents and wind coming from the, the fans. Um, boy, that's something that divides churches, isn't it? I'm too cold. I'm too hot. Turn the air down. Turn the air up. We have Oral Bible Church sojourn in the land of Egypt to the Wisdom Community Center for 18 years with no air conditioning. And so we love air conditioning. Even if it's too cold, some of you I see you're doing this. Even if it's not cold enough and some of you are doing this and rolling up your sleeves. You can't control the wind. I can control the air conditioning. But once you get outside, you cannot control the wind. A second illustration of things you can't control. He says here, no one has power in the day of death. You cannot postpone death. Well, that's not true. I can be hooked up to uh, you know, life support. God has established the day of your death and you cannot postpone it. There's a third illustration. There's no release from that war. You can't leave in the middle of battle. That's a third illustration. Israelites, if they were in the regular army, if they weren't at war, Deuteronomy tells us, if you just got married, hey, you got a year off. Spend time with your wife. Make her happy. Live with her in an understanding way. Try to learn how to live with her in an understanding way. But once we're in battle, there's no leaving. You have to stay in the battle. You have to fight. It's a situation you can't get out of. His point in these is if you make a foolish decision, end of verse 8, wickedness, that's what that's referring to. If you make a foolish decision, it will create a situation you cannot get out of. Wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. Christ's wisdom, let's back up then. Why does he say this here? Christ's wisdom keeps you from making decisions that you're going to regret that will cause permanent damage. Stop. Think. Look to the Lord. Pray. If you still don't know, get counsel. Get counsel from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get help. A third, last reason why Christ's wisdom is practical is in verse 9. You will remember that human authorities can be dangerous. Human authorities can be dangerous. 
he starts off in verse eight and says, uh, verse nine, he says, all this. And that's referring to verses one to eight. Everything I've talked about, verses one to eight, I've seen it, I've applied it to my heart, to every work that's done under the sun. And then, New King James, after a son, you have a, a semicolon, and then a phrase. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. Better way to understand this Hebrew expression, if you look with me, if you're using the New King James, I think the King James is similar, is there is, is an italics, so it's added. Uh, there's not um, Hebrew words uh, representing that. It's added to help us understand the sense, and that's absolutely fine. Uh, we don't speak Hebrew, so we need to understand it. We have a time in which, there's just two Hebrew words there, time, and then that uh, relative pronoun, and already I'm getting too deep into the grammar now already. So what's, what's the right way to translate this? New American Standard gets it pretty close here. Um, the best way to grasp this is just that whole phrase, there's a time in which he's saying here, when. When. That's what he's saying here. When. So let's look at this verse again to get what Solomon is saying. All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that's done under the sun when one man rules over another to his own hurt. All this that I've talked about, verses 1 to 8, you need the wisdom, Christ's wisdom. You need to know how to uh, grasp it. But wisdom recognizes that there are human authorities that do crazy things that are dangerous. That's what he's saying here. And isn't, let me back up, ain't that the truth? (laughs) That there are authorities that are crazy and do foolish decisions and that causes problems for other people? That's what Solomon says here. The wise recognize that that's going to happen. You need to live wisely before your authorities. And as you do so, you remember that no matter how you live, authorities can be foolish and unpredictable, and they can act in ways that cause great problems for people. So important to remember, because you can think, I'm doing everything right. Why isn't God blessing, as it were. Because the ruler, the authority, the power that be, whomever that might be, if he's lost and a sinner, he can do crazy, stupid things no matter what you do. But you need to keep doing what's right. Who, wrap things up here, who are your God-ordained authorities? Who are your God-ordained authorities. There's parents. Parents are your God-ordained authorities. If you're in an educational setting, a formal educational setting, that would be a school administrator, a God-ordained authority. For all of us, there's human government. Our local government, township, county, state, all the way up to the federal government, which is with its three different branches. 
Do they do things that are foolish? Yup. Do they do things that truly are helpful and right? Yup. What's your response? Lord, give me wisdom to rightly live under this authority. By and large, you need to obey your authority. But there's going to be something tickling in your head still. But what do we do if they're sinful? What do we do if they're wicked? What do we do if they really are off the deep end? Thankfully, we have some biblical examples again. Hmm. Whom shall I look to? Remember those three fellows that I've mentioned several times? Who were they? Joseph and David and Daniel. Think about Joseph. Passage to write down here would be Genesis 39. Did Joseph, when he was in high school, did he fill out uh, on his uh, uh, what I want to be when I grow up career application form, I want to be sold by my brothers and become a slave in Egypt. He didn't want to choose that, did he? But he found himself in that very situation, owned by an Egyptian a high-up guy in the government named Potiphar. Joseph, it says in Genesis 39, found favor in Potiphar's sight and served him. And it also says there, he called Potiphar, verse 8, my master. He recognized Potiphar is my master. I don't want to be in this situation But this is what God providentially has me in, and he is my master. Think secondly of David. David was that shepherd. God pulled him from that place of the shepherd to be Israel's new king. But until that time, Saul was still king. And so David kind of rose through the ranks because God blessed him. Killed Goliath, killed the Philistines. Uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his ten thousands, remember that there? Saul was a jealous king and a jealous authority. He sees David. He hates David. And so how many times did, did Saul take his javelin and try to pin Solomon to the wall? David left, beat it, scrammed. Not right away. Don't point to that as an example, a, a negative example of verse 8. Don't be hasty to go from your presence. He waited until it, all, it was very clear what was going on. There were several times, and if you want to write it down, it's 1 Samuel 24 and 26. 1 Samuel 24 and 26. There were several times when David could have killed Saul. And if David had killed Saul, who would have been king then? David would have. But David refused to do that. Saul is the Lord's anointed. He will let the Lord take care of that. Saul's trying to kill David. David, this is your opportunity. David's warriors were egging him on. This is it. You got him. What are you waiting for? Not only should you not speak evil of your authority, but you definitely shouldn't kill him. That's not my place, David said. The Lord will take care of it. Joseph and David, and who is the third guy? Daniel. 
Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verse 37. Daniel was a, a Jew, a godly Jewish young man, and he was taken captive by the Babylonians, brought over to Babylon, and under King Nebuchadnezzar was forced to do uh, learn languages and pretty much live in their culture. Daniel drew the line when Nebuchadnezzar wanted him to uh, disobey God's law. God gave grace there. But here's the thing I want you to see. David called Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, verse 37. He said, you, O king, are a king of kings. He showed honor to a pagan, foolish king. And then later on, a few administrations later, late in Daniel's life, when King Darius made a foolish law, only you, king, shall be worshipped. And remember, they put a time limit on it for 60 days or something like that. Wait a minute. You're going to be worshipped. You should be indefinitely. But let's just make it 60 days because those who were jealous of Daniel, they wanted to get Daniel in prison. They wanted to get Daniel killed. Darius made this foolish decision, this foolish law. He couldn't back out of it. It's a great example of verse 9. There's a, uh, it happens when one man rules over another to his own hurt. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Had a nice pleasant night with the kitties. They didn't touch him. An angel kept their mouth closed. Darius didn't sleep all night. Went to the, uh, the place, the lion's den, opened it up. Daniel, are you there? Did your God protect you? And then we read this from Daniel to his king, the foolish king that made this foolish law. He said, O king, live forever. Would you say that about a, 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 a ruler who made a law that resulted in your near death? King, live forever. Our flesh wouldn't want to do that, would it? Our flesh would want to give him what for? That's what we don't want to do. But Daniel was controlled by the wisdom of the Lord. Daniel knew, this is my God-appointed authority. And I must direct myself accordingly. When you have Christ-like wisdom, that will help you know the right time to speak and act. It will never lead you against God and your, as it were, king. You patiently trust the Lord. You see the big picture. What if you have a bad boss? What if you have a bad ruler? More often than not, they will move on, they'll be replaced, or they'll die. They'll be gone, and they'll be forgotten. What can be more challenging, though, is if you find yourself in, for example, an entire corporate culture that is corrupt, and those exist. Or you find yourself in a situation where every level of government is against you. That is more challenging. But again, who can we point to? Joseph and Daniel, for sure. And they faithfully serve the Lord. Practically submitting to God's sovereignty means that your responsibility is to submit to human authorities even though they're not perfect. 
And I wish I could tell you our next president will be a perfect president. He will not be whomever he may be. You'll never have that. You'll never have a perfect boss. You need to remember those individuals are there because of God's sovereign, perfect, providential plan and work. And sometimes the best that you can do is just write it out and be faithful and serve the Lord even though your family or your country or your educational institution is going down the tubes. You need Christ's wisdom to know how to act before your superiors.